rest stop. If you have ever driven more than 10 hours straight without stopping except to pee or pump gas, you will know the feeling, especially at night, especially on narrow highways staring down headlight after headlight. If you've ever put back so many coffees and Red Bulls that the caffeine passes through you like water, if you've ever turned on the air to stay awake, if you've ever turned on the heat to stay awake, if you've ever screamed, pinched yourself, slapped yourself, talked to yourself, held your breath, or turned the talk radio show up to 45, assuming a maximum volume of 50, wherein 50 is loud enough to vibrate the seat, then you will know the feeling. You will know how the little lines on the road run together. You will know the feeling of being not mentally, but physically unable to lift your eyelids any more than you'd be able to lift a 900-pound barbell. You'll have done a ballet with a semi wherein you, half asleep, ease your cruising speed down to somewhere just above parking lot speeds, only to have a semi come and pass you, waking you up, physically and to the fact that you were driving 35 miles per hour on the highway, so that you hurry up back to speed and soon pass the guy right back up again like an indecisive asshole. You'll know how impossible even another 30 miles can sound after midnight, 30 miles to the next rest stop after a day of more than 700 miles and more rest stops and gas stations and fast food drive throughs than you'd care to recall. You'll, maybe, have loosely contemplated the fact that a good day for a wagon on the Oregon Trail was 20 miles. You've probably toyed with just how long you could hold a blink, at least while nobody else was really around you. Gotten mad at the minute number on the clock radio for refusing to change over? I knew that I was not just physically and not just mentally, but spiritually exhausted past a breaking point when I felt actual tears welling as I coasted down the exit ramp. I'd unwittingly worked myself into an emotional frenzy with all the biting and slapping and whatnot. My right hand was tingly and nearly numb on the wheel. Of course, the second you start to look for a parking space, your brain will tell you that you actually have a few more exits in you. You can do another 50 in the next rest stop. But the second that you put it in park, you'd better have an alarm set because every blink could be the one. Eyes shut and don't open again till the next day, or even the one after that. Go to sleep and wake up when a week has gone by. It's hard to say, really. All alone like this, it sort of feels like the world can do whatever it wants to you like there's nobody else there to back up your version of reality. I woke up an hour after I'd parked, just after three in the morning. All the windows were fogged to hell, and it was so quiet that I could hear my pulse in my ears. It felt like someone outside would be able to hear my breathing. I'd curled up in the back seat, used a sweater for a pillow. I couldn't see another car in the lot. Were there anyone I'd arrived? The only streetlight on was the one directly in front of the restrooms and vending machines. I had to pee. The place was surrounded on three sides by dense forest, a uniformity of tall, narrow trees, all of about the same size, and an unbroken sheet of snow obscuring any undergrowth. Out on the road, no cars passed. It all had a vague familiarity like a place I'd almost seen a hundred other times. Maybe the building was a little taller or a little newer 
or the bricks were another color. But otherwise, God, how long had I been on the road? There were concrete barriers and do not enter signs blocking the on-ramp out of the parking lot and back onto the highway. Surely those hadn't been there when I'd arrived. And yet, how could they not have been? The men's bathroom door was unlocked to my great relief. The bathroom stalls were in front of the door on the left-hand wall, and the urinals and then sinks and mirrors were on the right-hand wall. I noticed, almost immediately, a pair of feet in one of the middle stalls. My unconscious brain knew a moment before my reasoning faculties caught up that those feet should not have been there, and I stared at them keeping the door open an inch on my heel. The smell of bleach and chemicals in the place was thick enough to taste. Had someone died here? Their car would still be around. Someone murdered? Someone waiting to murder me, more likely. The mirror. I could see that the stall door was open, if only a crack. The man sitting on the toilet was wearing a fisherman's hat and seemed to be looking at me in the mirror, but it was impossible to see his eyes behind his sunglasses. He closed the stall door then, perhaps with his foot? I never actually saw him move. Then he began to whistle. only to duck right over into the women's restroom, mostly because I still had to pee, but I also didn't want this guy following me to my car. The inside of the women's restroom was dark. I cracked the door and watched, waited to see if he came out after me. I watched for nearly five minutes, and he did not. Not that the guy could have snuck into my back seat if he wanted to. I don't have much in the world, but everything I had at the time was stacked up and packed into that car. The light switch did nothing, and so I used my phone for a light. I recalled middle school stories of plush pink couches in the girls' bathrooms. This one looked exactly like its counterpart, only flipped, and much, much dirtier, like it hadn't been used in months, if not longer. A blush of moonlight filtered in through the high, dusty window. I took only a couple of steps inside and found myself with a face full of cobwebs. And then I heard something move. Barely a sound at all, somewhere on the far end of the restroom. I shined the light across the back wall, shadows mingling and swirling in harmony until one moved different. The wrong way, the wrong tempo. I focused the beam in that direction. A spider was perched in the corner above the far stall. Its shadow made it look huge. And in fact, it was rather big, even if it was not the fantastical giant that appeared on the tile wall. As I watched it, I actually became quite sure that it was the largest spider I had ever seen. It was several degrees larger than a tarantula, with none of it furtiness or heft. Its figure gave an impression of sleekness, of 
sharp angularity. Long, sloping palps wriggled in my direction as he turned to take me in. His legs were large enough that it was not difficult to imagine them wrapped around my head. I was struck by the thought that his appearance was no accident. Nothing in nature is accidental in a long enough time frame. In the moment, it's nothing but accidents. Random little accidents like me choosing this exit and finding my way into the women's room and finding myself standing in front of this creature. Millions of years of random little accidents had honed its perfectly terrifying form, drew its rear end up to tower above its head as it appraised you, bent its legs into such sickeningly seductive curves. Aesthetic choices, tested by nature, for their capacity to instill pure fear in its audience, in its prey. Surely I was too large for him to consider me as such, but my primate brain felt each of those choices all the same, each feature more horrific to the deepest part of my unconscious than anything even a hundred of the greatest Hollywood makeup artists could conjure. I was frozen in place before he could even stick his fangs into me, put even a drop of venom into my bloodstream. And one has to imagine that this petrifying effect, this ability to inflict cold, sheer terror into the heart of anything that looks at it, would only be magnified by a hundred, by a hundred thousand, in creatures smaller than you or I, in his actual prey, as it were. The brain positively melts with fear. I could see in the way he flexed his fangs about that he knew all of this, and he delighted in it. Could tell by the way that he looked at me that he took great pride in the effect that he had on me. I tried to break myself out of whatever trance I'd worked myself into, but my legs felt listless and unresponsive. My right hand was still numb as well, and despite regular efforts to shake the life back into it, the numbness had only spread and was now crawling for my elbow. The bathroom door opened behind me. I nearly jumped through the ceiling. It was the man in the fisherman's hat. He gave me a strange thumbs up. You want to see Roger? Thirty-five cents. His face was obscured in the dark, but it was hard to see if his lips moved as he spoke. He gestured at the spider over my shoulder and held out his hand. A beggar, then. His limbs moved jerkily, almost reminiscent of a string puppet. I gave him a dollar. He looked down at his palm, still held open in front of him, tilted his head at it. Then he crumpled it, stuffed it in his shirt pocket, and left. A moment later, there was a clicking noise, and a spotlight in the near corner of the bathroom popped to life. It drew a sharp circle of warm light on the far wall and illuminated the rear end of the spider. The man re-entered a moment later and shuffled past me to the light, which he adjusted to land on the hole of the spider. The spider crawled out of the light. I couldn't see how far his web extended across the ceiling. Roger! The man adjusted the light once more. This time the spider stayed. Refreshment, he said. I told him, no thank you. He handed me a handwritten menu. Wine, 65 cents. Something was printed on the back that had been sloppily blacked out with a marker. I shrugged and handed it back to him. The backside had a familiar pattern, even if I couldn't read the text itself. A massive short headline of some sort, followed by a picture and then a few more lines of bold text. 
The marker had missed a few rows of exclamation points. The man made a stilted sort of bowing gesture and then opened up the door to the first bathroom stall. There was a punch dipper hanging on the back of the door which he used to scoop some dark liquid from the grime-crusted toilet. He poured it into a little plastic cup, which he offered me. Wine? It did, in fact, despite all the little bits of muck floating about, appear to be wine. The man stood nearby and made no secret of his watching me. He wanted me to drink the wine. I held the cup to my lips, letting little more than a bit of moisture pass between them, and made a big show of flexing my throat like I was swallowing. I smiled and said, Mmm, and gave him a thumbs up. He smiled and nodded and continued to watch me. The wine smelled and, from what little I could tell, tasted surprisingly sweet. I decided to let a small splash pass through my lips. I asked the man if the spider was dangerous. To you or me? Of course not. But we do ask guests to keep all small dogs on a short leash. <laughs> he laughed very loudly and very heartily then. When he had regained his composure and dabbed tears beneath his sunglasses, he asked, Do you want to see the pit? I had to ask him to repeat it. The pit, he said, and then gestured with an open hand at the far stall. The door was open. I took a few steps around by the sinks to see inside. Shadows obscured most of the interior, but I could tell that the toilet was gone. There were some piles of dirt and broken floor tiles, and then a black hole where the porcelain had been. The spider hadn't turned on its web to track me, but I felt it was tracking me all the same. I inched closer, trying to ease my light just far enough over the precipice that I could gather whatever impression I was meant to gather from the pit and then leave immediately, without offending the man in the fisherman's hat blocking the exit. I feigned some amusement and then checked to see if he was satisfied. He nodded me on, closer to the pit, and down I went, one eye tilted always upward, always watching the spider. There seemed to be an almost misty quality hanging about down in the pit. I took another half-step forward, craned my neck a bit. Was that... What was that color emanating off of the mist, catching in the light? I couldn't quite place it, but it was unlike anything I had ever... I passed beneath the small window, and a flash of darkness crossed over my face. I knew something was wrong. An irregular patch of blackness on the floor between my feet. A shadow. It moved. I looked up and found myself staring at the underbelly of the spider no more than a foot from my head, slowly backing away, conscious of the sweat beating on my forehead, now brought me closer to the open stall and the pit inside of it. The pit was not so deep and not so wide around, but it was deep enough and wide enough to hold a human form, a man half mummified beneath a layer of silken webbing and stood upright, but slouched unconscious against the dirt and rubble. The webbing which bound him in place also obscured his identity, though I noticed he had only one arm. You said he's not venomous? Unable to lift my eyes from the man in the pit. Oh, no, I didn't say that. The man in the hat spoke from the darkness, my light trained in the pit. Matter of fact, his venom is known around the world. I felt him move over my shoulder, 
there's a tribe deep in the Brazilian rainforest, only been contacted by white men four times, ever. They administer the venom to their young men and then send them off into the forest. Non-lethal dose. When they leave, boys. When they return, men. What does it do? I asked. A moment passed, and then he said, The fear. And I knew immediately what he was referring to, because I was feeling it at that moment, hearing the spider shifting on his web just above my ear. That primal thing which cannot be truly discussed, not really, or planned for, or reasoned with. The feeling of stakes so real you feel them in your stomach miles before your conscious brain sorts out all of the inputs and makes heads and tails of it. If Roger's delivering it to you, it'll put you out quick. No more than five minutes, more likely thirty seconds. Quicker you're snoring, faster he can get to work. The rapping is slow going, at least for him. He's got a special way he likes to do it. Then, when he's done, he's got food for a week, if not a month. So it doesn't kill you? I asked. Not if he does it right. Why is that? They say... He enjoys the fear, feeds off it. But that's just old wives' tales, as you know. The simpler fact of the matter is that there's something in the living flesh which he prefers, or even enjoys. He can never eat all of you in one sitting anyhow, so better to keep you fresh. I let out a nervous laugh. When you keep saying you, I'm sure you don't mean... I couldn't finish my sentence, and he didn't allow me to anyhow. His laughter echoed around the bathroom. The tingling, I noticed, was about to reach my shoulder. My entire arm was numb and would not return to normal, no matter what I did. Of course not. Too big. Too big, I repeated. But if I were his prey. Yes, he said, his voice lower. If you were. I tried to swallow back a lump in my throat. What if I were? A long silence. If you were. Nearly a whisper. Hallucinations. Delusions. Things to keep your brain busy while your body is... Devoured. My phone vibrated. It would soon be dying, and my light with it. Of course, said the man. When the brain is subjected to fear, I mean real, real fear. Deep terror. When it is allowed to think without an inkling of hesitation, without a moment of reservation, that its death is imminent. It releases all manner of chemicals and hormones. Some of us think it seasons the meat. Being eaten alive, kept occupied in a hallucinogenic fantasy, 
designed to scare me within an inch of my life in order to milk all of the adrenaline from my brain so that I would taste better. It all seemed so absurd, so far removed from anything that... But then again, I said it over again in my mind, eaten alive, occupied by a fantasy designed to terrify me. I felt the tingling start up in the toes of my right foot. It started something inside me, and before my brain knew what I was doing, my legs were carrying me toward the door, away from the spider in the pit, right past the man in the fisherman's hat. It was still dark outside when I emerged back into the parking lot, and even colder. I went straight to my car. And here we are now. I keep checking. Nobody has come out of the women's room since I left it. Snow is starting to fall outside and the concrete barrier is still blocking the on-ramp. From where I'm parked, I could probably get myself up to 50 before I hit it. If I looped back to the far side of the lot first, I would have no problems. No problems at all. I just need to wake up to find some way to bridge that gap between my brain and my body myself and to leave this Prison. Christ, how long have I been driving? 